0: Good morning. Good morning. morning. I'm just going to share with you something that I learned about uh, just this morning. One of my neighbors um, that's just next door, basically, she's good enough to email out a list of crimes that have happened in the neighborhood in the past week. She's the head of the neighborhood watch. And I was really surprised to find that this uh, one incident I'm going to share with you happened just down the street. On Saturday, February 1st, 2014, at 19.30 hours, officers responded to investigate a road rage incident. The incident involved at least three motorcycle riders from the Motorcycle Club heavy hitters. Apparently, the motorcyclists got into an argument with the driver of a Chevrolet Suburban while on Dyer Street near Alvarado. Yes, just over there. During the incident, the Chevrolet Suburban struck an uninvolved vehicle, causing a non-injury collision. The motorcyclists, Suburban, and newly involved Honda all entered the Union Landing Shopping Center after the collision. The motorcycle riders followed the driver of the Suburban through the Krispy Kreme parking lot where they dismounted and began threatening the driver. One motorcyclist slashed a tire on the Suburban with a very large knife. The motorcyclist proceeded to cause a serious laceration to his own thumb while in the process of slashing the Suburban's tire. Afraid for his safety, the driver of the Suburban fled the area by driving out the parking lot. Along the way, the driver intentionally collided with multiple parked vehicles and a few of the parked motorcycles as he fled the scene. The case is now being forwarded to the District Attorney's Office for review and possible criminal charges. This morning, we're going to talk about one of the key culprits in the case that's actually not named, but was definitely there and a big part of what happened. We're going to consider this morning one of the most powerful and potentially destructive things in all of creation. In this passage we're going to look at, we're going to see that the devastation it causes is compared to a forest fire. But actually, it has potential to be a lot more destructive than a forest fire. That incident I mentioned just that happened down the road, that's actually a very mild example of what can happen. Some people get killed over these things. In fact, wars have been started by it. We see marriages, friendships, families, churches have been destroyed by it. We're going to talk this morning about the tongue. Let's turn to James chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things are not to be so. Does the spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree my brethren bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus. No spring can yield both salt water and fresh. Now, James begins talking about the dangers of the tongue with a warning about becoming teachers. Now, this is because the teacher has an occupational hazard here. The teacher is going to be using his tongue more than the average person. Now, just because... um, we're not teachers or you have no aspirations about becoming a teacher does not mean this message does not apply to you. It says my brethren. Jesus is talking to all believers here. Now people might be tempted to become teachers. People can derive a certain amount of pride and satisfaction from being a teacher. But the truth is I need to be taking special care as a teacher. There are people out there in the world who have jobs where they deal with hazardous substances or dangerous machinery. Really, if I'm going to be using my tongue as part of my occupation, I need to be taking that same care as that chemist who perhaps is working with an explosive substance as I'm dealing with something very powerful and very dangerous. The teacher is receiving a stricter judgment. He has a higher level of accountability because the teacher is not just responsible for his own soul. Because the teacher is in a place of influencing other people, using his tongue in a way that other people are listening to him. He's responsible for what other people do. If someone goes and does something wrong because of something I've said or done, I'm going to share a part of that blame. Now, of course, the teacher should be taught by example, too. The teacher's lifestyle should be a living lesson to his students, but especially the mouth. We see in verse 2, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. If you can control your tongue, it's like you can control anything. But we see something very odd here in verses 3 to 6. We see the tongue has an influence over our lives completely out of proportion to its size. You know, the average human tongue, I I looked it up on Wikipedia, it's only four inches long. Now, you would think from um, just looking at human anatomy, you would think, well, our brain or our mind controls which direction our body goes. But James here says it's the tongue. And James compares it to a horse's bit, or the rudder of a ship. Now, just by turning the reins of a horse, just by turning the rudder of a ship, you can change the complete direction of where you're going. And the tongue is like that with us. We can change which way we're going in life by just something we say. Now, I'll show you how in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, His tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. What we say often influences our actions. The things that our tongue lets loose, it affects our entire character. I'll just give you a couple examples. Take a sin like lying. It's actually very hard to stop at just one lie. If I tell a false story, suddenly I'm forced to tell other lies to keep that story consistent. Now, I may just start with one instance, but lying can easily become a habit. Or take a sin like anger. It's actually very difficult to stop at just one angry comment. One angry comment is often followed by another angry comment. Now, now that incident I just relayed that happened down the road, it's like people could not stop talking at that point. People could not stop saying angry things. If somebody knows, you know, a fight doesn't usually start in silence. There's often angry words that come before it. Verse six it says the tongue is a world of iniquity. Now there are so many tongues that we there are so many sins that we commit commit with our tongue. We can use our tongue for lying, for backstabbing, for gossiping. We can say angry things out of our mouth, wrathful things, blasphemous things, filthy language. We can use our tongue for arguing, for complaining, for bragging. That's not just in what we say, but also how we say it, our tone of voice. We can use an unkind tone, an angry tone, a condescending tone, a sarcastic tone. And a tongue, in verse 6, is compared to a fire. Now, Has anyone here ever been burned by fire? At some point, many of us have, maybe not very seriously. Perhaps we were just holding a match for too long and we got our fingers a little singed. But we all have a very healthy fear of fire. We know to keep a safe distance from it. Now, do I have the same fear of my tongue as I do of fire? Because based on what James is gonna show soon, I really should be. The sins that come from our tongue, they have a strange spreading effect. Like fire going from one tree to another during a forest fire. Take a sin like gossip. If I tell my, um, someone next to me, hey, did you hear about what happened to that? <laughs> Suddenly my neighbor is very tempted to spread the news to someone else who is totally unconcerned or has nothing to do with the situation. Suddenly, perhaps a whole room of people may know something that should have been kept confidential. It's hard to contain that sin. Same thing with something like anger. If, I say, if I'm angry with someone, if I, give an, if I say something very hurtful and angry to someone next to me, I'm probably going to get them angry too. Sometimes it almost seems like the tongue has a mind of its own. Have you ever had a time where you said something that you very much regretted, and you think to yourself, oh, man, why did I say that? Or you clap your hand over your mouth and think, I can't believe I said that. Oh. Now, you wish you could take it back, but the damage has already been done. I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has had this happen to them at some point. I was just talking to a brother a few weeks ago where he wished he could have taken back the words he had said that had been hurtful. Now, of course, things just get worse when we're angry. When we're angry, all kinds of awful things can come out. And verse 6, we see why the tongue seems to have a mind of its own. It's encouraged along an evil course by an external source. It says in verse 6, that the tongue is set on fire by hell. Now, this is not to say that we're not responsible for every word we say. Because the Lord Jesus says in uh, Matthew twelve thirty six and 37, that we are. The Lord says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, They will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Now, I studied biology in college. I got acquainted with a lot of different types of animals. I can tell you there's um, some very seriously scary animals out there in the world. Take the top predator in the ocean, the killer whale. Now, an adult killer whale can grow to be about 30 feet long. It's 12,000 pounds. It can swim at over 35 miles per hour. The killer whale has nothing that hunts after it. There's no um, animal in the sea that will try and take on a killer whale. In fact, a killer whale will um, kill and eat a great white shark for breakfast. And yet, despite this, we keep the killer whale in aquariums. We have the killer whale perform tricks. Take another animal, take the king of the jungle, the adult lion. So, an adult lion can be eight feet long, can be over 500 pounds of pure muscle. It can easily take apart um, other animals larger than itself. A lion can easily uh, kill a tiger that might be a little bigger. And yet, as powerful as a lion is, we keep the lion at the circus and have the lion jump through hoops. Mankind has found out ways to tame animals that are much more powerful, much bigger than himself. And yet in verse eight, the Bible says, but no man can tame the tongue. No man, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. That word unruly, the word unruly means it cannot be restrained. Now, those animals I just mentioned, like a killer whale, they're captured at sea by nets. A lion might be chained up. You can't do that with your tongue. Let me ask you, do you think you have what it takes to control what comes off your tongue? Actually, according to the scripture, it says you don't. We might try with every ounce of our strength, we might resolve from this day forward, I am never going to say anything bad. I'm going to say only kind things and good things. I'm never going to hurt anyone with my tongue again. Never. But I'm going to fail at that. It's a big problem. We're all sinners Born with a sin nature, which means we have the natural tendency to do evil things. And that includes saying evil things. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty four. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And the tongue can be incredibly painful. A lot of times, the emotional hurt that we receive from the tongue it totally outweighs what we experienced in physical pain. Now, I've seen patients who have gone through extremely tough surgeries and they will try and sweat it out without, without taking Vicodin or morphine, without shedding a tear. That same person, however, that person might be brought to tears by something that's offensive or hurtful that is said to them. Perhaps someone has said something hurtful about your appearance. I remember one case uh, where I was being interviewed uh, for a physical therapy school. One of the people speaking with me relayed a, a case that he asked me to look over. And what happened was, there was a physical therapist who was assigned to treat a woman with back pain. The therapist took a long look at the patient and in exasperation, he said, you have low back pain just because you're too fat and walked away. And the woman was brought to the point of tears. She was crying afterwards. There's a saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But the fact is, words can hurt a lot, and the damage left by a hurtful word can be much more long-lasting than any physical hurt. A lot of times, when I'm treating a patient, uh, someone will ask me how long will the pain last, especially after someone has had a fracture of some kind. They ask me, how long is this going to hurt? And I tell them, well, bone commonly takes about six to eight weeks to heal, so we're looking probably at at least six weeks of pain. However, the pain from words can be much more long-lasting. When someone says something hurtful, the pain for the person on the receiving end, it doesn't just come when their ears hear it. We hear something hurtful, and even though we don't want to, Involuntarily, we replay in our minds over and over that hurtful remark. Now, it's no wonder James says in verse 8, the tongue is full of deadly poison. Now, poison, by definition, is a substance that enters the body through a surface opening, like your skin or your mouth, and it seeps into your internal organs and causes damage there, and just lingers there. And you know, with hurtful words, that's that's like poison. It enters through a surface opening, your ears, just seeps in and spreads. Verse 9: With the tongue we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Now, if you were at the breaking of bread this morning, you would have seen um, people blessing the Lord. Blessing meaning um, praising the Lord, speaking highly of him, acknowledging him. Cursing is just the opposite. The word curse here, by the way, does not uh, refer to me using profanity or name calling, though that often goes along with it these days. Cursing refers to me um, calling for evil and the worst possible fate to come on someone. A statement like that might correspond to it these days is something like the words, go to hell. Terrible thing to say. It's terrible not just because I'm wishing evil on someone. I'm really dishonoring the Lord with what I'm saying. I'm really contradicting the Lord. Because the fact is, I'm speaking badly of someone that the Lord spent a lot of time creating. And in fact, the Lord Jesus died to save this person. The person I'm cursing is someone the Lord esteems very highly? I should not be speaking badly of this person. I should not be cursing them. The verses ten through twelve. We have a really odd, several odd scenarios. Let's reread those verses. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring can yield both salt water and fresh. When James is saying, my brethren, these things ought not to be so, James is saying something like, this does not make sense at all. <clears throat> so we don't often we don't drink from springs nowadays. But let's just uh, take the scenario um, and put it in a 2014 context. Let's say I'm, um, I'm thirsty. So I go to my uh, faucet to get some tap water out. And so I get a first glass of water out. And it's nice and good tasting and fresh and cool. I'm still thirsty, so I get another drink. But then my second cup of water is dark, it's murky, and it tastes really bad. That doesn't make sense. What just happened here? I live in Fremont, I heard, but not quite, no. The water still is not quite that bad. But um, yeah, there's something wrong here. And in fact, I'd be thinking, well, there's something must be something wrong with the source. It must not just be my faucet. Perhaps there's something deeper wrong. Perhaps the plumbing has some problems. It's really completely unnatural for my mouth to have blessing and cursing for having good and evil coming out of the same opening. Really, if I'm... If blessing and cursing are coming out of my mouth, it should be as unnatural as seeing figs coming off a grapevine or olives coming from a fig tree. And really, if any of us tasted water coming out of a faucet that was bitter and looked black and murky, we would probably never come with a faucet again to get a drink. In fact, the government, when they find a contaminated source of water, the government puts up a big sign warning people to stay away from this source of water. Now, if I have evil coming out of my to- off my tongue, I might as well have a big condemn sign just on my tongue saying, don't drink from this opening. Now, with how much I've talked about what evil things can come out of the tongue, you might almost be thinking it might be better if I never open my open my mouth again, that way, keep the mouth keep the mouth nice and closed, none of the tongue's wicked poison can can seep out. But that's not the point of today's message. Yeah, Eric preached on James 1.19 a few weeks ago. I'll just um, read that verse again. Just a couple chapters back. James 1.19, therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So, you see, we should be speaking. We should be using our tongues, but slowly, with care and consideration. And looking ahead a little bit, we're told in James 1.26, just a few verses up, to bridle our tongue. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So as believers, we're told to bridle our tongue, to control our tongue. The tongue needs to be carefully controlled, literally reined in. Wait a second. seems like I just gave a little contradiction there because we just said No man can tame the tongue, so I can't control my own tongue. So, is James asking us to do something impossible for us? And no, he's not. The Lord's asking us to do something very possible, but not by ourselves. When I first read that verse, it might look like that I'm the one that has to rein my tongue in. That's assuming that I'm the one controlling my mouth. But like we already established, I can't rein in my own tongue. The tongue is just going to tear the reins out of my hands. What I should do instead is turn the reins over, turn control over to someone who can control the tongue. And there's only one someone in the universe who can do that, and that's God himself. And here's a couple of verses on how to do it. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And a few chapters back, this is also in Romans it's chapter six, verse thirteen. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now we often use these verses in terms of giving ourselves to the Lord. Let the Lord take my life. Let it be his to use completely as he wishes. But when the Lord says in chapter 12, verse 1, to present our bodies, we should remember the tongue is part of our body. The tongue is a very key part of our body. And going back to that verse in Romans six thirteen, in presenting our members as instruments of righteousness, the tongue is one of my members, one of the most important ones. Have I let the Lord have my tongue to use as he pleases? Really, I should be confessing to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to say or how to say it. I'm just going to say the wrong things. I've left my own devices. Lord, I just want to give my tongue to you so you can speak through me. So If we want to stop all that poison from coming out of our mouths, we need to give our tongues to the Lord. A good prayer that King David made in the Psalms, this is in Psalm 141, verse 3. King David, he knew the danger of the tongue. So he prayed, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I've talked enough about what should not be coming out of my mouth. So what should be coming out of my mouth? I'm just going to read for you one verse. This is in Ephesians. It's chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. This verse is saying that what is coming out of my mouth should be with grace. What should be coming off my tongue, people should benefit from what I'm saying. It should be a gift. Now, what's this word, edification? Edification. And what does it mean to edify? Oh, I heard Jack say it. It's not a word we use in everyday speech. Edification is a big word. It means to build up as if I were constructing a building. If I'm being edifying, it means that what I'm saying to my brother or sister is causing them to be strengthened, to grow spiritually, be to be drawn closer to the Lord. It's going to be something helpful. And people need to be edified. Notice in this verse it says, necessary edification. The fact is, all of us have some kind of weak spot in our spiritual lives. If you think of people as a building... A lot of times, a building may have a weak spot. Perhaps there's a spot in the building with some bricks that are missing or some mortar that's missing. If that building is put under stress or if there's an earthquake, that building might topple over. Now, if I want to be edifying, I can fill up that gap nice and good, nice and solid in that person's life. The Lord had a way of being edifying to people at just the right time when they needed it. I'll just give you one example. In Acts 23.11, um, the Apostle Paul, he was in a very discouraging time. He was in the custody of Roman soldiers, and it wasn't clear when he would be released. By one night, the Lord appeared to him, stood by him, it says, and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. The Lord came to, Paul, came to Paul at the perfect time when he really needed it. Now I can say it for myself, there have been a number of times where people in this room or other saints, they've, been, they've given me some edification at a time I really needed it. A few years back, you might remember, um, there was an elderly sister here who fellowshiped here um, named Edith Tucker. Now, there was one morning, she was, a, she was very shaky in her feet, and I decided to escort her to the bathroom, and she had a fall. And um, she ended up breaking her pelvis and had to go to the hospital. And i tell you, for um, from a number of hours after that, I was very broken up by what happened. I, I really blamed myself. I, in fact, I started crying just in the kitchen down the hallway. I told myself, well, I should have been able to stop that. I'm very grateful that uh, one of the elders came along at that point and told me to stop forlaying myself and not to blame myself for something that I could not have helped prevent. Another time, it was the very first year I was saved. I remember I was feeling very blue because I had not gotten a job that I had been counting on getting. I was just kind of moping in my room. That moment, a brother called me up on the phone and encouraged me to redeem the time I had now, to draw near to the Lord and spend time in his word. I was edified at a very necessary time. I'd like to issue a challenge to the saints this week. I'd like you to look through your directory or think th- through your list of friends. Is there someone you know who is perhaps going through a struggle or going through tough times? Is there someone who needs edification? I'd like to challenge you this week to say something edifying to a brother or sister in need. Maybe just a quick phone call. And maybe you won't have to look very far. Perhaps it's been a while since you've been edifying to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents, to your friends. And to make sure, one more thing, to make sure what is coming out of my mouth is really with grace and really edifying, I do need to get to the heart of the issue. I mentioned that verse from Matthew, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Really, what's coming out of my tongue is a result of what's in my heart. The tongue is really a conduit of what's in my heart. Now, like I mentioned before, as sinners, we're naturally prone to saying sinful things, wicked things. But if I'm a believer, I could and should be filling my heart with other things. If I really give myself a living sacrifice to the Lord, as mentioned in Romans, then my heart should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I should be filling my heart with the Word of God. Really, when you think about it, as believers, we should have the most beautiful words in the universe coming out of our mouths. We should have the word of God coming off our tongues. We should have the gospel coming off of our tongues. Now, the tongue is so powerful. Now, I spent a lot of of time talking about the destruction the tongue can cause. But in the hands of the Lord, the tongue can be incredibly powerful and used by the Lord for his kingdom. Sure, the tongue has great power to destroy but under the Lord's control, the tongue has incredible power to build. That word edification I mentioned, it refers to building a building, a permanent structure. I can make a lasting change for eternity using my tongue, perhaps by edifying my brothers and sisters. I can see that the weak spots in the local body are shorn up. I can see that the uh, brother or sister who's in need is strengthened in an eternal way. Perhaps by the prayers that come from my tongue, I can affect my brothers and sisters in an eternal way. Of course, if you use your tongue for witnessing and sharing the gospel and someone gets saved, you've just made a difference in a person's life for all eternity. Lord, we confess by ourselves that we don't know how to use our tongues. And Lord, we just want to give them, give this to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, you would continue to teach us how to be edifying, how to have our speech as gracious, saying things that you would be pleased with. Lord, we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name.